Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, friend? Thank you so much for choosing the Paul Leslie Hour. I realize there are millions of podcasts. You have chosen this one. My sincerest thanks. This time around, we have the interview with the comedian of comedians, Shecky Green. I would say that he is probably one of the most famous nightclub acts of all time. Even the name Shecky is synonymous with comedian. He was a headliner in Las Vegas. His show has been seen by millions. Shecky Green is a man with many stories. Like how about the time Elvis Presley opened for him? Or his many times as a guest on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show or the Merv Griffin Show. Shecky Green, like so many of the guests on the Paul Leslie Hour, is rightfully a legend. He's a comedian who not only tells jokes, but he sings, he improvises songs, and he's never been too shy of being physical on stage. I think he really opens up in this interview. He gives some of his opinions on some of the younger comedians. And as an added benefit, I guess you could say a bonus, I have included at the end of the interview the first few seconds of our communication. I think it's kind of funny the way he greets me. Stay tuned at the end of the interview for that little bonus content. Enjoy the one and only Shecky Green here on the Paul Leslie Hour. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great pleasure that I introduce you to this man. The one, the only, the legendary, Shecky Green. What a wonderful introduction. I wish I were all those things. <laughs> How do you become well-known, the only one, and legendary? How do you become that in this business? Because all the people that I, at this age, I guess, become legendary. Well, I Either guess... legendary or dead. <laughs> That's a good question. I guess there's something to be said for hanging in there and continuing at your craft. George George Bird says Shecky can do it as long as as long as and make sure you you work with people that are older so they don't remember anything <laughs> and then 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 keep on doing it. My first question: Who is the real Shecky Green? Who is the real Shecky Green? I mean, what made him legendary? <laughs> I don't know who the real Shecky Green is. All I know is I get up every morning, I have my breakfast. Sometimes I don't have my breakfast. I do my things. And when I went to work, I went to work. But I, I don't think that's a question people say, who is the real? How do you know what the real is? Because during the course of a life, you do many things that you wish you didn't do. That's very true. Take us back to the very beginning. I think most stories are best from the beginning. What was life like growing up in the Greenfield home? Well, let me tell you, I was born and my I, when I was first born, I thought my name was Oh, 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 because that's what happened. As soon as I was born, that's what I heard my mother do. Oh, oh, so I thought that was my first name. <laughs> then I was a third of two of three boys, and my brother did, my uh, middle brother did impressions and dialects and things, and I just emulated him, and that's basically how I got in the show business. But I, uh, I had a wonderful childhood in Chicago during the Depression, I remember the people coming and picking up my father's car. We couldn't afford to pay for it anymore. And me standing in the garage crying. Then I remember my mother going to work and we having to wait for her to see what she brought home from, from work. 
kids don't go through that today. I mean, the, the poverty is much different today. Yeah, I guess it's relative because people today, a lot of the things that they think is roughing it would have been living in luxury years ago. What, what do you mean? Well, it's almost like we're kind of getting spoiled. Well, I mean, we've got welfare, we've got different things. It's an entirely different situation. It's just like people say, who's your favorite comic? There's so many comedians today and with this tube and everything else. I don't know who's my favorite, who's not my favorite. There's just so many of them. Yeah. Tell us what comedians influenced you the most. Nobody influenced me. The only one I was influenced by was my brother. I mean, we would we would listen to radio, and uh, we'd go to movies, and he would do things, and I would do the things. But my uh, forte was dialects, and in all the years that I've been in show business, everything that I did movie-wise, television-wise, nobody ever used me for a dialect. I mean, Russian, I would do Russian, every, everything, the Jewish, uh, Irish, and uh, nobody ever wrote a script and said, here, this is perfect for you as a character actor. So it was, with all the success that I've had, also it's been very frustrating, too, because I always wanted to be a character actor. Hmm. How did you get the idea that comedy was something that it could be more than just making somebody laugh, that it could be a profession? Paul, uh, I just, but by luck, I mean, I did it in high school and everything else. And then when I, uh, when I got out of the service, Oh, by the way, in the service, when I was aboard an aircraft carrier, the Bon Armour Shard CV-31 Essex-class carrier, aboard that same ship was Jonathan Winters. He was a, a Marine, and I was a, in the Navy. And we did a few shows when we were in the Navy. But when I got out of service, I was going to college, and I went down to a resort, and I got up on the stage. And from there, I, I stayed in show business. It was easier, because... I know I, I was not equipped to do anything else. I was not an equipped to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, an Indian chief. I couldn't do. Matter of fact, if it wasn't for the Japanese attacking us, I never would, get, would have got a high school diploma. And, and my uh, diploma, it says, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it was a, a series of things. I, I was always quitting show business, Paul. I... I had success, and then the job was over, and I was going to go back to college, and then another job came up, and then another job came up. I wanted to ask you about the Preview Lounge. What were your memories of that? What did you think of New Orleans? Well, you see, I was already almost out of show business when I went. Like, some guy offered me two weeks to go down to New Orleans, and the funny thing about it, the, the guy that was there before me, and well, he was still there when I came in, was Sammy Shore, who was my first partner. I went in, Al Hurt was the orchestra leader, and I went in and I, I never had any material. I mean, I would get on the stage, it's what they call, the, the kids today call, uh, uh, improvising. You know, and I would just, I would just working with what happened during the day and, and working with Al and, and things and talking about New Orleans, uh, the oysters. But that probably was my major thing in my career was going down to New Orleans. And the town, I want to know something. I never really got with New Orleans. I never, never in depth really studied New Orleans. And it was a magnificent town and historical town and everything. But I never got into those things. I was playing horses. I had a guy down there. We'd go to the racetrack instead. So I didn't get to see and know that much about the town. What do you like most about the horse racing? Oh, what do I like? 
Well, that's you know some that's a sickness. That's like that's like talking about you got cancer. What do you like about cancer? <laughs> I mean that horse racing is any form of gambling. What they're doing in this country today with New York is going to get gambling in their places. Uh, Chicago is going to get gambling. I mean, besides the Indian, it's bad enough that the Indians got it all over. I worked for a boss in Connecticut, an Indian, who said to me, "Oh, Besides telling me what to do, it started to rain after he finished. But I think it's a disgrace. I think it's it's disgusting. I think it's destroying this country with this gambling and everything. I have a sickness, and I I went to uh, Gamblers Anonymous and found out it was a loan company. (laughs) How do you tailor your acts to an audience? After so many years and everything that I've been in this business, I sort of, I, I can sense when I walk out. I, I, to talk about it, I mean, I can't say I specifically do this, I specifically do that. I don't. I have a a, a, a wonderful thing that I, that's that been with me. I sing a little bit. And I walk out, like, to, before even talking to the audience, I sing, you know, around the world I search for you. And I get a feeling about that and the little applause and then the, inspiration but the, the audience has been so good to me and i've been in it so long that generally the people that come to see me have seen me or know about me it's not like a new kid just starting out on the block you mentioned that you really weren't influenced by anybody that it was mainly your brother but if you could who do you think's the best comic no i, I could never say that i mean i i worked with so many and knew so many i could never say who's the best there were there were so many different types I mean, there's a physical comedian, there's a monologist, there's the the, uh, the clown. There's, I mean, there's so many different types. I met the George Burns's, the Jack Benny's. Uh, those are the people that I admired because I, I grew up listening to radio and listening to these people and seeing these people. So it's in the Fred Allen's. It's the people that I used to listen to on radio. I mean, you can't say to a kid they don't even know what radio is anymore. But I and then we had vaudeville and I used to go when I was a kid, I would go in to the theaters and every comedian they had used to impress me and and the the dancers. I just liked the whole idea of show business. I love the ballet. I love the opera. What do you think of Don Rickles? I love Don Rickles. Don Rickles got very lucky because there was a Shecky Green in Vegas. And because of Chucky Green, he got lucky, and they brought him to Vegas. And that was really the start of his career. But Don and I are very good friends. I understand that at one point, Elvis Presley was your opening act. In 1956, there... Elvis was my opening act. They, it was sort of a mixed bag with that. We had a, a the program was Freddie Martin, Elvis Presley, Chucky Green. Well, when Elvis... First, after the first show, they changed the whole lineup, and then I, I closed the show. Elvis was just not ready to work that kind of room. He would come out with a baseball jacket on, uh, the scrim would come down behind him, and it, it could have been in a bar the way he worked. The blue suit, he had the two records that he had was Blue Suede Shoes, and what was the other one? Blue Suede Shoes, and what was the other big one that he had? Hound Dog, maybe? Hound Dog, yeah. But I'll tell you, he was—he didn't do that well, so he, he sang both of them at the same time. Got off earlier. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the new crop of comedians? Has there been any that have caught your eye? Paul, I, I don't know, but no, you say the new crop. There's so many of them that you, I don't know what the new crop 
the old crop. I enjoy when I see comedians on television and I see the, the, the things that they do. I enjoy them all. Anybody that's got the balotutafazangats to get up on the stage and do that, I enjoy them. I'm a little, there's one girl that I really was liking, that Chelsea, but she's got a little bit of an arrogance about him that I don't like. She's very great and very talented, but there's an arrogance that I don't like. Chelsea Handler. Yeah, I guess that's her name. Yeah, the blonde. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you about your worst gig of all time. Can you remember it? Have you got an hour? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh, I'm, I've had so many. Some guy booked me a long time ago. I mean, at the beginning in South Dakota and a Greek owned the club and it was a dry, the town was dry. They brought their own bottles and I had to wait for them to build a stage before I can get on it to work. The guy came, the carpenter came and built a stage. And then I had to bring in a piano player from Minnesota and I got on the stage and none of the people in the audience were watching me. So I, the guy on the shoulder, and I said to him, sir, like, I'm a physical comedian, you got to turn around. He said, if you were good, you wouldn't be in this place. I said, you know, you're right. And I got off the stage, I went to the boss, I gave him $300, and I started to leave, but it was snowing. There was such a blizzard outside, you couldn't get a plane or anything else, and I had to stay there. One of the worst experiences of my life. Mm. Well, what about a best gig? I, you know what? But truthfully, the, probably the best thing for me was a lounge in Las Vegas at the Riviera and the and the Tropicana, because that was the, the true whatever Shecky Green is. That was a true Shecky Green. I can create. I can make up. I may write songs. I did everything, you know, on that stage. Matter of fact, when I had to go back into the big rooms, it, it really bothered me because I had to have an act, and I didn't have an act as per se from A to Z, you know. It was it was kind of it was kind of nice working in that that uh, the freedom that I had in the lounges. Maybe you can give the listeners a, a heads up. What's the best place to eat in Las Vegas? You know what? There's so many. When I first came there, we had gourmet places, and every hotel had a gourmet place, and they're all great. But now, when you go to Vegas, we're not talking about us. I'm talking in the hotels. You got every top restaurant in the country there, and some in the world. So for to say which is the best place to eat is ridiculous. There's so many wonderful, magnificent places. And probably, I should say this, the place where I work probably is the best place of all for dinner is the, the uh, Michael's at the South Point. Michael's is the best food. It, it used to be at the Barbary Coast. And when he built the South Point, he took the whole piece by piece. He took the whole uh, place and, and built it in the uh, the South Point from Barbary Coast. What do you get there? You get thone crabs, which you don't very rarely you get in other places. You get a Dover sole that's that's about the size of a shark. You get a steak that's a second to none. You get the services unbelievable the way they take care of you when you go to dinner. Matter of fact, you don't even care if you eat. You just you want to make friends with the people that are serving you. <laughs> they should be giving you an endorsement check. Well. <laughs> Except one little guy that serves the wine. Oh, he no. said, I want to tell you something. I'm the wine steward, and I want to get you some good wine. <laughs> you want some Ripple? You want some Thunderbird? I said, Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, 59. He said, I want that too. <laughs> he sent a Calos, a Canidos, 
That used to be the French sommelier. Now they're all Mexican kids. Monsieur, would you like a bottle of wine? I'm going to give you something beautiful. I mean, you don't get that anymore. Today, he said, I want to tell you something. I came over from Cuba by inner tube. <laughs> so, how did you meet your wife? Which wife is that? I've had three. Marie Musso. 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 Marie Musso is the daughter of Vito Musso, and when I was very friendly with Vito Musso, she was a very young girl, and I met her then. And I've always had eyes for her, and I wanted to marry her 40-some years ago, but she saw me drinking one night, and we broke up, Then she got married, then I got married, and I kept in touch with her, and finally we got, 30 years ago, we got married. She is the best. She cooks, she does everything. She knows my act. It's nice to have a, when you walk out on the stage, to have your wife standing next to you telling you what you forgot. <laughs> hey, sing this song. You forgot this song. <laughs> is that true or is that, are you, are you serious? No, uh, no, but I mean, you know, sometimes she's off stage and she says, do that, do that, do caca on the moon, you know. <laughs> I do a routine about caca on the moon that when I was, when I would, on the Johnny Carson show, they, the NBC said they would never have me. As long as I did, it was so dirty. Little kids use the word caca, you know? Yeah. And now every comic that you get, I mean, the filth and everything that, 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 that that's on television. I watched Chris Rock the other day, who I think is in between the, uh, the, the words, is kind of clever. But yeah. I have never heard that much word that, that just gets to me. Yeah. That they use in movies, too, now. Every time I go to a movie, and if they use it five times before the credits, I get up and I leave. Do you think that sometimes some comedians are using that as like a, a shortcut? Instead of being clever, they're just... Well, it's a shock value. It's a, it's a punctuation of everything. You know, that's the way Chris Rock uses it. He punctuates. He says he'll get on the subject, and he punctuates with that word. Every time finishes with that word, and then the other word. And I watch this audience laughing. And I'm and I'm really sick. Not that the kid isn't clever. I'm sick that they're forcing themselves. I see them forcing themselves to. They think they're supposed to laugh when they hear that word. I I saw this kid, the one that's got his own talk show, the Scotch kid. What's his name? Scotch kid. What's he look like? The guy at night. uh, Conan. Let's see. Conan. Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Fallon. Letterman. Leno. The guy used to be on the Drew Carey show. It's got a very good sense of humor and is very, oh, yeah, very yeah. sharp and everything. But I saw him in person and I used the word also. He must have been doing Chris Rucksack. You know what I mean? I could not believe what I, what is his name? Oh, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Darn it. Ferguson, Ferguson. Y- yes, yes, Ferguson. Craig Ferguson. What is it? Craig Ferguson? Yeah, Craig Ferguson. That's it. Craig Ferguson is a very talented man, but I want to tell you, he can do it without the word too. I just don't know what it is. It's just that the function. Uh, they they all think they're doing Lenny Bruce. Lenny did. Lenny wasn't half as dirty as these guys are today. Yeah. Have you ever listened to this guy Louis C.K. by chance? No. He's one that I think is awesome. I think he might be the next. Well, he maybe already is. Who knows? What do I know? <laughs> Louis C.K. Yeah, just Louis, and then his last name is capital C, lowercase k. I love Louis C.K. Anyway, uh, anyways. What about this kid? Black is great. Black? What's his name? I don't know what his first name is. 
there's so many of them, and I, they're all good, but I don't, I, it's a terrible thing at this age to say, you know, to mention a name and not remember their first name. As a, but he's very good. Jewish guy that does with glasses and a lot of political things. Some of the political satirists, I, I, I love this Stewart. I love the other guy. Oh, John Stewart. John Stewart, the other guy that follows him. Yeah. With the glasses. With the, Look at this. I know his name backwards and forwards. Maybe I better look backwards. Yeah. It's with a C. <laughs> Colbert. Stephen Colbert. Oh, Colbert. I love him. Yeah, Stephen Colbert. Very talent, talent. And see, Bill Maher to me, I'd like to put Bill Maher on a hook. Why is that? Because he's an arrogant, conceited little. I make up the words for you to because no dirty word, but the sound dirty the way I say. See, now somebody would think that that's dirty. If I'm doing that on stage, so a lot of people say, Gee, did you hear what he just said in Italian? I said nothing. Hmm. What do you think of Letterman? I like Letterman very much. I like Letterman very much. Letterman, a lot of these guys should kiss my feet because I'm the one that got Mitzi Shore at the comedy club. And that's where they all started, in the comedy club. So uh, they should have a night for Shaky Green. There wouldn't have been any of those kids if they didn't have the comedy club because she really, that thing's really made those kids. David Letterman is the Robin Williams, the different people like that. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, what are your recollections of Johnny Carson? <laughs> what, what do you mean? Oh, I don't Johnny know. Carson, it was a wonderful thing to do a show because it was the most popular show out. And we were friends. I can't say good friends because I don't think Johnny Carson ever had good friends. I don't remember him being that close to anybody. Yeah, it seems like there's... Uh, Including his last 12 wives. Yeah, <laughs> he certainly racked up the wives, that's for sure. I know that Wayne Newton said that... Uh, he uh he almost t- he almost punched Johnny Carson in the face. Well, Johnny was always doing jokes, and I I did jokes about Wayne too. I was in, when I was working in Vegas and everything. I mean, you, you know that's the, the type of humor we do, and sometimes it gets a little vicious. But I did jokes on on Wayne, and and Johnny did him, and he, of course I didn't do him on television like with Carson. And he went backstage, he waited for Carson. And he, he said to him, Dungy Shane, I want to tell you something. If you ever mention my name again, I'm going to knock it down. Yes, Dungy Shane, I'm going to dunk Shane. He finally took some steroids and he, he got heavy with the voice. I think it ruined him, the steroids. Because after he hit 375, it was turned into the baseball people. <laughs> what is the best thing about being Shecky Green? You keep on saying that, but I don't know who Shecky Green is. And you want to know what's funny? I've spent 85 years of my life, well, I'm not quite that long, trying to find out why I do this. Why did I do that? Why didn't I not do this? Why did I marry this girl? I did had no feeling for her. Why did, I mean, I've been looking, searching, hunting. So if you find any human being, including a psychiatrist, that knows who I am or what I am, please let me know. I have gone to psychiatrists who, one guy from Vienna, who said, I would like to tell you something. You are brilliant on stage. Why are you not the same person off stage that you are on stage? All right? So I went around doing dialects and singing songs off stage, and people used to kick me out of places. (laughs) I don't know. You know who is. The wonderful thing about certain personalities that get established, 
the Rickles has a definite personality. You know who Rickles is. George Burns had a definite personality. What he did, you knew who he was. Jack Benny with the cheap thing and everything, you knew who he was. I mean, generally, most stars in that one dimension that you could remember and everything, uh, the Cary Grants, my goodness gracious, there she is now, I love her. Well, you know, you, when you heard that, you knew you were watching. Shecky Green did sometimes too many things. And I found out that, 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 that like television, you got to basically be like this kid with the cable man, whatever, whatever his name, who I think, every time I see him, I, I run. That's one guy I run from. I don't know why. I want to give him a bath. All the time, this guy. Mm. But I mean, when I see this kid and everything, I want to tell you something. And that, 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 that's a definite character that you know. And television is one dimensional. And you, if you get into that thing and they take with your personality, that's fine. Then you, be, you become a star. I, there was a, a, a Sammy Davis. They tried to give him his own show. He couldn't because Sammy Davis did too many things. Sammy Davis sang, Sammy Davis danced, Sammy Davis did impersonations. You didn't know who Sammy Davis was. It's the same with in my case. I danced, I sang. Matter of fact, I did Sammy Davis. Can you bring out Sammy now? Hey there, Sammy Davis sang out of one side of his nose. Hey there, you are then high, flying cloud. I've never made a fool of you. You used to meet your white wife. sang just, I work with Sammy. And uh, he sang out of one side of his nose and I sang out of the other side of my nose. <laughs> I work with Buddy Hackett. Buddy Hackett talk on the side of his mouth. And people thought it was a telethon they were watching. <laughs> See, Buddy Hackett, one dimension. Yeah. Buddy Hackett had this character, and if you had that character, that's it. What about Cosby? What do you think of Cosby? Well, I like I like Cosby. I think Cosby's a, a very, very bright. I think he was the first African-American. You know, I don't know. Sometimes when I say African-American, they get mad. I shouldn't say African-American. If I say black, sometimes, you know, they get mad at me. I had Lena Horne get mad at me when I said black. She's, what color is that? I don't know, but Bill Cosby used intellect. Bill Cosby was the first one that came on the scene that played who he was. You know, he didn't have to do a character. And he's very bright and he's very good and very, very rich. Matter of fact, he was around right now. I'd borrow some money and go right to the track. Oh, Billy, you may think I'm silly, but I, of course I need a bet on a horse. This is probably another tough question. Could you pick a favorite memory of yours? Yes, I will pick a memory. My mother was, I took my mother to Florida. My mother, uh, Bessie Greenfield. And my father and my brother and my sister-in-law. And they were sitting in the back of the Eden Rock Hotel and I was on stage. And my mother was just going into dimension. My mother walked on and her head was down and everything. And we were really beside ourselves. We didn't know what to do. Ma, did you want this? And we tried to feed her. We tried to do this. And it was breaking my heart. So on stage, I said about, I told a joke that I just made up about being a, a hooker. As I was in Dallas, Texas, at the Stony Plaza Hotel, and I called down to the to the, the bell desk, and I said, to the bell captain, just send me up a hooker. He's Mr. Green, we don't have a hooker, but I'll send you up a crocheter. My mother started laughing in the back. I jumped off the stage. You hear what I tell you, Paul? Yeah. Jumped. I leapt, leaped, 
whatever, loop, click, clipped. And I ran to the back, grabbed my mother's, Mama, you heard that and everything else and this and that. And I was kissing her and everything. And she says to me, that was funny. <laughs> That's awesome. That will be a memory that will last me the rest of my life. My last question, it's kind of two-part. First, I was going to ask you, we have listeners all over the place. What would you like to say to them? And then part two, what song would you like to, us to play at the end? What song? <laughs> you know, that's, that's very difficult. I mean, it's, you know, I love music. And I just want to thank the public for, for all the years that I've had and the people that I've never met that have, have, have enjoyed me and some that haven't. I mean, you, sometimes you get 50-50, and 50-50 is pretty good. But if I can just touch everyone and say what you've done for me, because they've, they've done, they've gave me, they gave me a life that I, I really didn't know what kind of life I wanted at the beginning. I certainly didn't want to be a salesman. And I said before, I wasn't equipped to be a doctor, lawyer, but the public gave me a life that was wonderful. And the song that I sing, that I would like, there's so many songs. <laughs> Yes, I believe for every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. I believe that somewhere in the darkest night, a candle glows. I believe for someone that that, that kind of song that, that they get inspiring or the ones they sing at the end of a, a funeral or, <laughs> well, this is not a funeral, but <laughs> uh, I, love, I love everything. I was just, you know, something just before I came in the house here, I was listening to Sergio Frankie and I forgot how good he was. Do you remember Sergio Frankie? I've heard him. Yes. Sergio Frankie used to sing opera and he was wonderful. I was listening to it. So you, when you ask me what song, I really don't know. I think the Star Spangled Banner, if we can do it right, we don't have to have Roseanne sing it, Robert Goulet sing it, poor Robert Goulet almost ruined a career with that. You were too young to remember that. What year was that? That was at the Sonny Liston fight in Maine. Lewiston, Maine, and he got up and he sang, Oh, oh, if ever I should leave you, it wouldn't be by the dawn's early light. No, not by the dawn's early light. Are the candles red glare on a clear day? And his career almost over. Almost over. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, we'll pick something. Pick something, yeah. And Mr. What? Green... After talking to me, what song do you think I would like? Mm, what song do I think perfectly encapsulates the Shecky Green experience? Yes. Ooh, that's a good question. Well, I'll tell you, with this conversation, and I can hear an echo, maybe we should do Little Sir Echo. Little Sir Echo, how do you do? Hello. Maybe that's the one we should do. I was thinking maybe the Harold Arlen composed Forget Your Troubles, Come On, Get Happy. No. No? All right, veto, no. veto on that I, I like a down type of... Smile, though your heart is breaking. That was written by Charlie Chaplin. People don't know that from In Limelight. Really? Yeah. So you're more attracted to a, a down song. Yeah, that's, I'm a, that's my whole life is a down. I walk around, and I tell you, I don't recognize people by their face, just by, by their shoes. I walk around like that. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Blue Shoes. I remember you. <laughs> Met in New York one time. I kind of am the same way. I like, I like the sad, kind of dreary songs. 
it brings a tear to your eye. Yeah, they. I don't know why they resonate with me more than anything. Well, it's like like all the Irish songs are that way. I was there in the pub and I drink in my booze. What did I do? I remember I lose. I lost at the track that day, and my wife and came and took me away. Those those sad songs. I'll tell you the truth. That's the way of life is, Paul. <laughs> See, this is what I do, and that's what I never did in 60 years of doing uh, TV and movies and stuff. They never used me for that. They always had some little directors, listen, do you mind, Mr. Green? Do not do the dialect. Just do it straight. (laughs) But they let Robin Williams do the dialects. Very clever boy. Mr. Green, again, I appreciate this interview very much. It's been a great pleasure. It's been very entertaining. Well, thank you, Paul. If you ever get any money, send me a couple of bucks. Okay. All right. I'm always looking for a couple bucks myself. But uh... <laughs> then let's get four bucks. I'll tell you how bad I went. I bet on. I bet on LSU. That's how bad I went. I went to bet for a month. I was going to bet on Alabama. I bet on LSU. So you know how bad I go. Oh man. LSU shouldn't have been on the same field with that team. They definitely got their clock cleaned. It's going to be the Saints and Green Bay. Remember that. Oh, yeah. Do you have a favorite? No, but I'm going to tell you, that's the Super Bowl is the Saints and Green Bay. Are you planning on putting any money on it? Oh, when it comes, lad, you'd be surprised. I'll get a few bob up there. I cannot, I cannot hesitate making a bet on that. That's what you live for in those days, you know, in our days when you gamble. You live for the Super Bowl, you live for the, whatever, the BCS, whatever that was. Yeah, the BCS championships. Yeah, but I actually bet on LSU. Not much, but I bet on LSU. Those are the breaks. Unbelievable what's happening. Let me know if you're ever in Atlanta. Well, to be surprised, Paul, I, I got some friends down there, and I've been for a long time been trying to make a trip down there, but I may do it. Okay. Say hello to everybody in Atlanta and tell everybody I love them. All right. Have a good one, Shecky. So long, Paul. Adios. Hello, Mr. Green? (laughs) Yes, Mr. Green. (laughs) All right. How do I sound? You sound all right. You sound like you sound good. You're coming through clearly. All right. All right. Are you ready to roll? All right. All right. All right. Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) All right. Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. If you enjoy these interviews, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast. You can help us by listening on the free Radio Public app. The show can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or Overcast. For more information, visit thepaulleslie.com or follow on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, all at The Paul Leslie. The Paul Leslie Hour theme song is performed and composed by Jeff Pike. Outro music is performed and composed by John Goodwin. See you next time on The Paul Leslie Hour.